This is episode 112 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks so much for joining me today, and I hope it's been fantastic for you thus far. After seeing how much more fun it was to have Angela with me on the Q&As, we've decided that it's the new standard. Today, we answer questions people sent in about preventing overwhelm when goal setting, dealing with a bad day, and hiring someone when you don't have the immediate cash to do so. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. Hello, Creative Giants. Angela is joining me again to do another Q&A episode. We had such fun last time that we decided that's just how we're going to roll with this. So, Angela, thanks for joining me again today. I'm super excited to be here. All righty. We went into a lot of great stuff last time that, you know, I wouldn't have gone into by myself, which, again, is a reason to do it. And whenever we're having more fun, it's just a better show. Yes. All right. So what do we have today? Okay. So some more great questions. Um, just like last time, but from different people this time. So the first question we have this time for you, Charlie, is from Cheryl, and it's from a webinar that we just hosted. She wanted to know if you could speak a bit to the idea that we underestimate what we can get done in a year and overestimate what we can get done in a day or a week, and how to plan out a year with not getting overwhelmed, trying to address all our various life areas. So thinking about family, finances, business, career, self-care, how to maybe not bite off more than we can chew. All righty. So Cheryl, this is a great question, and um, I appreciate you for asking it. Where this is coming from was from the Momentum Planners Bundle um, how-to and FAQ webinar that we just did. That's a mouthful. That is a mouthful. That is a mouthful. (laughs) But anyways, we did a training webinar because we have the new Momentum Planners out, and we wanted to update people with how to use them. Mm -hmm. So um, the comment that that she's kind of pulling back from or or addressing here is one that I was um, referencing when I talked about the pyramid of action perspectives. I'm not going to be able to go into all of this for people, but Mm -hmm. the basic idea is that your annual goals can be broken down into like quarterly sized projects, which we call quarterly objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, those quarterly objectives can be chunked down into monthly objectives. Mm-hmm. Those monthly objectives chunk down into weekly projects and those weekly projects chunk down into daily tasks. Right. Mm-hmm. So on a very simple model to where every layer had three things attached to it. Right. So, a quarterly or excuse me, an annual goal had three different quarterly or three different objectives to it. Um, and then those three objectives, three quarterly objectives had three monthly objectives. Mm-hmm. And then those three monthly objectives each had three weekly projects attached to them. Mm-hmm. And then those three weekly projects each just had three tasks attached to them. And very rarely do we see a three task project, right? Yeah. What you see is that one goal spawns into all of these projects and tasks, right? By the time you get down there to the bottom, you're talking a lot of different projects that you have to do. Can you give an example? Um, it helps me to kind of think about an example. Yeah. So if we were to just take a very simple goal of our simple, not that it's easy, but of like writing a book, we know enough about books, right? Mm-hmm. So we know over the course of a year, like let's say you wanted to write a book in a year. 
Okay. Okay. So um, that would, you know, split into like, let's say creating the table of contents for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, then getting into writing the, so the table of contents, depending upon your proficiency with doing this, that could take you a month. It could actually take you three months to do it right. And really nail it. Right. And then writing the chapters mm-hmm. and then the chapters are broken down into sections and then the sections are broken down into individual paragraphs, individual paragraphs broken down into a lot of sentences. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm using that because it's, it's one of those sort of projects that are, that are, that we can decompose pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the thing about it is, is, is when you get down there at the bottom, there's a lot of sentences to write. Yeah. Right? And so this, where this example is going to break down a little bit, Angela, is it would be like imagining trying to write four books at once. Hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. You're going to have a lot of different sentences and paragraphs that you're going to have to write. Yeah. Right? Or doing something, and you know we can fall down on, on this quicker than anything else, but like um, completing your backyard. Right? Um, or, have you know, no idea renovating the backyard, about. right? So it seems like an easy thing. We're going to spend <laughs> the year like, working on our backyard, but every time we do something like think about creating the the rock floor, we're like, well, we got to like get this. We got to get the primer, and then we got to get the sand, and then we got to get the compactor, and then we got to get the stone, and then we got to stack the stone, and then we or stack the and then like it over it like gets away from you pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and that's just one project of many. Right. Yeah. And so when you get down to that bottom layer of all the tasks that you have to do mm-hmm. that are coming from that higher level goal, that's, I think, where we get overwhelmed. Right. Yeah. And so a trick here and, and guys, I'm going to be writing a lot more about the pyramid of action perspectives. Um, we wanted to get the momentum planners out. Um, and so keep your eyes open for for this. I'm hoping to have it out by the late October um, or if not sooner. So we may be able to link to that then. But one of the strategies that we can use to make sure that we don't end up overcommitted at the bottom at our days mm-hmm. is to choose fewer annual goals. Mm-hmm. Right? Because each one of those annual goals are going to spawn off a bunch of objectives and projects and tasks related to it. Yeah. Right? And so if you just choose to do less, you're actually able to focus on being able to do more. And here's where I want to draw the distinction between um, allocation and focus, right? Or capacity and focus is the way I want to say it. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that to focus 100% on something, you have to be like give 100% of your capacity to that thing. So, um, so for instance, for you to focus all day on a project that, you know, let's say you have eight hours in that day Mm -hmm. that you use 100% of your day. Um, 100% of your capacity, and that's what it means to focus. Mm-hmm. It's actually not true, right? Okay. What I, what I really encourage people to do is to work at 85% capacity, mm-hmm. but with 100% focus, right? This gives you enough room such that when you're in a moment and when you're in that moment of doing uh, with those tasks and those projects, you can be 100% there. Mm-hmm. But know that you have enough margin in your schedule so that as things come up and as things change, Mm -hmm. that you can take care of them. Yeah. Right? So work at 85% capacity with 100% focus. This is also a post on productive flourishing, right? Yeah. And so zooming up, like I learned that actually with being a logistics planner, right? Because we would never, ever plan on having 100% of our trucks available at any given time. Mm -hmm. Because you just don't. Yeah. Some are blown up, some are in the shed, some are in transition, like some are just like whatever they're going to be. We know that there's a certain amount of trucks 
that are not going to be available of the 300 that we have available. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we never plan for 300 trucks. We plan for 85% of that. And that gives us enough maintenance and margin so that we're never at a point to where um, we're really overcommitted. Mm-hmm. And when people need what they need, we can't deliver it to them. Yeah. Um, turns out people don't like hearing they're not going to get their bullets and food and water. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not a fun thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, I learned it there, but while we were, we used those trucks that we had available to 100, 100% efficiency. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the distinction that I want to draw. And that's really relevant to what happens for people is they think that I'm going to focus on my health mm-hmm. and they throw everything they've got at that one project and end up over committing it as opposed to saying, um, I'm going to work on this one thing, this one aspect of, of my of my life or health, and then do that in a way that's sustainable, mm-hmm. in a way that I can do long term, in a way that doesn't make it its own thing. Yeah. Right. So that's one thing. Um, at this point, I, I need to recommend um, Gary Keller's book, The One Thing, mm-hmm. because what Cheryl mentioned was. Um, trying to address all various life areas, family, finances, business, career, self-care, and that's part of the problem. Mm. Um, We can, in light and moderate ways, address all parts of our life, but we can't intensively change all parts of our life at once without disrupting a lot of things. Like There Mm. are those transformational periods where all of those areas change at once. I can think of divorces. I can think of like other things like that to where a lot of those will change in one fell swoop. Mm-hmm. But the reason I'm mentioning Gary's book is because it's far better to look at your life, I think, and in the sense of what are your challenges by like by priority, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you've got your finances taken care of, then that would give, would make it better, make you better able to, I don't know, afford going to the gym. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to afford going to the gym, then you would be, you'd get more energy and you'd feel more confident about yourself. You had more energy and felt more confident about yourself. Then you would be a better partner, right? I'm not saying it's, that's the order, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm saying you can kind of see how if you were to stack them in that way, yeah, you can see that you can work on the thing that's the most pressing Mm -hmm. and work on other things in a light or moderate way and sort of maintain them. And then when you get that most pressing thing solved, then you move to the next one, mm-hmm. right? And so that's another way where you can avoid um, really getting overwhelmed trying to address everything at once. Yeah. You just don't, yeah. right? Yeah. You pick the things that are most important. If your relationship with your partner is flagging, then maybe you prioritize that more, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, if it's flagging because um, you've got financial strain, then you know you have to really figure out why why are we in these these troubles not from just a um, intuitive like here's where I am in the now perspective but like in a in a root cause format mm-hmm. right what's the root cause of this particular thing yeah why am I um, why am I overweight right now why am I 15 pounds overweight well because I eat too much and exercise too little right mm-hmm. so which of those can I address like which one will ha- will be the biggest thing the thing that makes the most difference right mm-hmm. um, if you're Charlie it's working out more because my energy level increases then I can eat whatever I want to right mm-hmm. but that's not the same for everybody else yeah so um, so that's one thing it's so the first thing was 
um, choose fewer goals. Goals. Mm-hmm. Two is pick the thing, which is another way of saying the same thing. Pick the thing that's the most important to you and address that. Mm-hmm. The third that she sort of mentioned is there in in the context of things. I said it's better to um, undercommit and overachieve mm-hmm. than to overcommit and underachieve. Yeah. Right. It's better to undercommit and over overachieve than overcommit and underachieve. And the reality is, um, I was thinking about this before we before we started recording this. Let's say a novel is fifty thousand words, right? Okay. Let's say in a, in a matter of two hours, like people can write a thousand words. Mm-hmm. Actually, not that hard to do if you're in the writing groove. Mm-hmm. Well, counting for weekends, that means you could write a novel every two months. Yeah. With just one creative block or one two-hour block, right? Mm-hmm. Now, Cheryl mentioned that we underestimate what we can get done in a year and overestimate what we can get done in a day and week. And this, this is a weird paradox there, right? Mm-hmm. That most people don't think, like, wait a second. If I used my time, energy, and attention in these very focused ways, and I did that consistently and got momentum, I could actually get a lot more done Mm-hmm. by doing fewer projects and goals than with this sort of chase that we, this chase of busyness that we get into where we try to do everything. Yeah. And then we're just sort of pushing everything down, down the road just a little bit or more likely trading water and running backwards a little bit, trying to catch that project that got away from you. Yeah. And about the time you get it caught up, another project has gotten away from you. Yeah. You got to sort of have like the project inchworm scenario going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's how, in some ways, like we can get more done in a year than we think we can, but we can't get as much done in a day as we think we can. Because at the daily level, we make, we say yes to far too many things. Mm -hmm. At the day and the week level, we say yes to far too many things. Mm -hmm. And at the annual level, we don't say no near, or we don't, we're not focused about what our yeses are. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear it. Like saying. we really don't know. And so one exercise that I do with people when they're like, oh, I don't know what to choose. Like imagine a year from now, we're kicking back and we're having drinks. It could be tea or alcohol, whatever. And we're celebrating what you've gotten done. Mm-hmm. Like the, the things are the most important. And there are only three of them. Only three major things that you've gotten done. What would we be celebrating? Mm-hmm. It's a great way to focus people's attention yeah. on that. Because a year from now, like that's far enough away that we have to do some thinking, but we don't get to choose everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's a great way to sort of frame that. Because those are the yeses we need to choose at the annual level, at, the, at that sort of goal level, that will give us the constraint to say no at the daily and weekly level. Absolutely. Because it's so, so easy to lose sight of what the bigger picture is and what we want in the here and now when we're used to saying yes to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And just on that, remember that no is a complete sentence, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. No is a complete sentence. And I think a lot of times when it comes to saying yes to things and... You know, I talk a lot about OPP, and this is not the Naughty by Nature song. This is other people's priorities, right? Mm -hmm. We try to figure out how we can say yes before Mm -hmm. we figure out whether we should say yes. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
And if you make your projects, those three things, your must do, your non-negotiables, then everything else is by default and no. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you, you're approaching it from a different space as opposed to that sort of people pleasing, like I got to say yes to everything. And then you say yes too much. Yeah. Because inevitably there will be scope creep. Mm-hmm. There will be expectations creep. Mm-hmm. And things will always take longer than you think they're going to take. Yeah. And you take those three things in consideration is how we see one small yes become a big yes. Mm-hmm. And we see a few small yeses become a no to the things that matter most to us. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I can say personally, I just went through this, a big, a big bout of this um, back during the summer, during July and August. And it was painful. It, it got to the point where it was actually painful. And I had to say no to something that I really, really wanted to do. Because I had said too many yeses to things that weren't that weren't on my three things for the year. So yeah, yeah, it's real. <laughs> Displacement is a real thing. It is. And that's where having those bigger goals that really matter to you can help you. Because just remember that um, no yes comes for free. Mm-hmm. Right? And you get to a point to where you really have to get real with yourself and figure out why saying yes to other people is more important than saying yes to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Write that one on a sticky note and put it on your mirror. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Um, I think we covered that one, right? So, yeah, definitely. That was, that was very good. Very good. Cheryl, you're the bomb. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for that question. It was great. So our next question is from Jeremy, and this one's from the campfire. He asked, when you're having a bad day or maybe a doubt-filled day, what sorts of tasks do you focus on getting things done and maybe even lift your spirits? Or what sort of tasks do you avoid on these days? As you might imagine, I'm going to start with a reframe. (laughs) The first thing, and this is a super hard practice, this is a super hard practice, is when you're already feeling like you're having a bad day or a doubt-filled day, is rather than figuring out what you can do, sometimes it's better to figure out if you have to do anything at all. Mm-hmm. Right? And maybe you claim that as a yeah, mental health day. Yeah. Right? And I just want to pause here because Jeremy is coming from the place of a um, solo entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And... The thing about it is, a lot of times we're solo entrepreneurs because we want to set our own schedule, mm-hmm. and we want to do what we want to do, and we want to be free. Yeah. And yet, and yet, we make this golden cage for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Where we don't let ourselves take time off. We don't give ourselves sick days. Mm-hmm. We don't give ourselves break days. We don't use the freedom we created for ourselves to actually do things like, you know, take naps yeah, and exercise. And so the first thing I would say on this one, Jeremy, is really evaluate whether you have to do anything and whether doing nothing except for um, 
playing with your son or playing video games or going for a run or a bike ride or playing guitar or reading or taking a bath or whatever it might be, it's a better way to recharge yourself, mm-hmm. right? Because it's better to lose, quote unquote, lose two hours and really claim them for self-care, mm-hmm. but then be on fire for, you know, be on fire and grounded for the rest of the day than to suck ass all day. And then be done at the end of the day and be frustrated because you really weren't in the groove. Mm-hmm. And you're in that negative middle ground between work and play. Yeah. Like, I say negative middle ground because there's a positive middle ground between work and play. It's a very weird thing where um, what you're doing is purposeful and productive, but it feels like play. That's sort of the positive middle ground. Mm-hmm. The negative middle ground is when you're neither working, like you're not getting anything done, mm-hmm. and you're not playing either. Yeah. You're just kind of sitting there. That's a terrible place to be. Yeah. So, first thing is, can you just hit the eject button for a while? Um, second question is, um, I when I'm in this one and I can't get up, I I, I I avoid Facebook and social media and things like that, right? Because I believe the words that we use and the energy we show up with, we share with other people. And if you're already in a funk having a bad day and probably frustrated, you're going to have a confirmation bias that that's what you see in the world. And that's also what you put out in the world. Yeah. So I try to avoid that. What I do is I try to find something that and Angela, we talk about stagnant energy a lot. Mm-hmm. I try to find something stagnant and work on that. Right. Um, and so it could be a closet that has just gotten away from us. It could be the dang studio that I'm going to have to do something with really soon because um, I about went, I about like rage quit before mm-hmm. we recorded earlier today. But I try to find something stagnant that way and move it and do that because that releases the energy, psychic, emotional, and otherwise that we have to that. And sometimes that's enough, mm-hmm. right, to do it. Um, I should also note that we have two posts here that I'm going to link up. Jeremy, you probably read them. There's 12 simple ways to be present. Mm-hmm. There's 21 ways to quickly short circuit a funk. Mm, mm-hmm. Both of those contain really good, ste- really good steps of what you can do to sort of thwart this scenario. Um, so his second question was, what sort of thing uh, task do you avoid on those days? Um, anything that requires a lot of courage, creative courage. I'm just gonna like, I'm going to hit the clock on that one and say, you know what? I may not be able to be in that arena today mm-hmm. because I'm in a different arena today, right? I mean, I'm over here in personal lane. I got some stuff. Yeah. So I'm just going to avoid that. Definitely don't make, right? And this is more for my context, but def- don't make any personnel or staffing decisions, mm-hmm. right? Don't make any huge investments, right? Um, probably not a good time to do a strategic audit, Right. Um, So just anything that's really heavy lifting like that, that you want to be in your best space, avoid them, Um, avoid them. And um, I would also say it's probably good to avoid email during those times as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely not the time to um, have those fierce conversations and everything that, that Ansel and I mentioned um, in the last question episode, question, Q and a episode. You don't want to have those yeah. when you're, already having a bad or doubt-filled day um, because you're going to show up with all of your baggage and, and throw it at other people mm-hmm. um, and then wonder um, why it didn't work out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, first one, to sort of wrap this one up, 
maybe give your spa- yourself um, space to not be productive mm-hmm. and hit the eject button and recharge. It's a great way to avoid burnout. Also a great way to avoid the resentment that you can sometimes feel when you're in your own creative business and yet you don't feel like you feel trapped under the wheel and trapped behind a computer screen. Mm-hmm. Um, to find something that's got some stagnant energy to it and move it around could be your email, but probably like I like inanimate objects. It could also be your body. It could be your body. Right. Yeah. We mentioned that. Right. Yeah. We did mention that. Right. That's why you want to hit the eject button. Um, I'm always going to say, like, I should have started with with the 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 answer to everything. Drink water. <laughs> so, but read read twelve simple ways to be present, or twenty one ways to um, quickly short circuit a funk, and you'd see what I mean about the water thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third is avoid anything that requires you to have the emotional and creative courage to really address and tackle, because you're likely going to be frustrated with the process and disappointed with the outcome. Yeah. And you could potentially hurt other people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I feel pretty good about that question. Let's call it. Yeah. Still got one more. Okay. Great question, Jeremy. Thank you for that. And then our last question for today is from Corey. And this is also from the campfire. So he's talking here about things that he's kind of struggling with. First, how do you scale a team when you don't have the immediate cash to hire everyone you want to hire? And secondly, when do you make the leap to hire someone? So those are kind of one question, two questions, depending on how you want to answer it. Yeah, well, it's it's two questions that my man Corey asked that are basically would take a book to explain. Yeah. But Corey asked amazing questions, and he's one of my great friends. So thank you, Corey. Um, so the first thing to think about here is that you scale a team one member at a time. You make one hire at a time. And um, I think a lot of times when we start thinking about scaling, and I do a lot of work with with teams that are scaling up, right? Mm-hmm. The first thing people think is like, I got to go hire everybody all at once. No, please don't do that. That's a really bad idea. That's a really, really bad idea. Yes. Right? So um, I'm going to slide in the Tuckman model real quick just because it's something to know about. So there's the um, forming, storming, norming, and performing model, right? So um, we'll link us up in the, in the show notes I think, but either way, you can Google it, right? So teams form and then teams storm. And you've all seen that storming thing where just expectations. So the forming, let me back up. Forming is the honeymoon, right? Oh, this person's awesome. It's <laughs> awesome they're here. High five, smack, smack, right? Um, oh, look what they do. Smack, smack, right? This is amazing. Smack, smack, right? Um, and so everybody's giving fist bumps and high fives and everything is awesome. And it's cool when you're part of a team. Thumbs up emojis. Thumbs up emojis all around. Yes. And then the honeymoon wears off and everything is not as awesome all of a sudden. Um, Workflows aren't working. Um, Deliverables aren't what they need to be. Um, Expectations about people's time in the business and what they're doing aren't being met. Um, Who's doing what like gets all confusing. Um, You know, inevitably things start happening. What I want to say here is entrepreneurs and novice leaders always think that they can avoid the storming phase. You cannot avoid the storming phase. Just get it out of your head. You don't have to be an asshole that makes the conflict, you know, be a part of the, the, the team and everything like that. But you can't avoid the storming thing, right? Um, 
And so the best thing that you can do is be clear that there's going to be storming. Um, not try to hold off. Now go back and listen to um, the last Q and A because I talked about giving um, negative constructive feedback. Right, mm-hmm. that's one of the things that we do, and what causes the storm is that things start happening, and then we don't address it, and then it's a huge storm as opposed to like a, you know a little storm coming down. So yeah, um, so storming starts happening, and then the third stage you go into, which is norming. You sit down, and you say, okay, here's what we do, here's what's going on. Here's how we get this. Like, here's how we clear up all these misunderstandings. And let's be real here. Most business challenges always come down to um, communication mm-hmm. and miscommunication. Mm-hmm. So norming is just really getting where those communication things are. I'll pause here. If you haven't hired people before, haven't scaled a team before, you likely do not have the procedures and workflows and um, team practices and all the docs that you need. And so you're making that stuff up on the, as you go, mm-hmm. um, you're fixing it while flying it, which means you, um, have to have a lot of conversations that are earlier. For instance, um, one that I often to talk to people, especially when they've got virtual teams is when do you really expect people to be available mm-hmm. on that team? Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, they could work from wherever they want to. And it's great. I'm like, that's all fine and good. But if you need people to be available from 10 to 3, you got to tell them. Mm-hmm. And you got to hire and select for that. Because you don't want to be like, oh, we're a virtual team. You can work from wherever, wherever and whenever. When what you really mean is you can work from wherever you want. Mm-hmm. But you need to be available from 10 to 3 because that's when we make the stuff happen. Yeah. Right? So things like that are things that you have to put in place. And you have to learn that the hard way. Right? Mm-hmm. In some ways. Unless you listen to this podcast. And then... You don't have to learn it the hard way. You just have to put it down and hire for it, right? Yeah. So norming, and then finally performing, right? That's the fourth stage, where you've got the norming, and people get sunk in a groove, and then everybody's jamming, and then you're back to sort of the smack, smack, high five thing, right? Where people are just doing their work, mm-hmm. and there's not a whole bunch of talking about it, right? There's not a whole bunch of um, doing. So you kind of got, in the earlier stages of the of this model, there's a lot of communication that happens. Mm-hmm. And then what I've learned is during the storming stage, Things get quiet, hmm. right? Things get quiet. People aren't saying what they need to. People aren't really talking about it. And then there's a storm that happens, and then everything comes out. Usually, that's where most novice entrepreneurs and leaders will fire the people. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, they're just not working out. Boom, they got to go. Yeah. And then they'll find themselves in that same position like when they hire the next person three, four months into it. They're like, oh, it's the same thing. Why can't I find good help? Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's not the help. Yeah. Right. So um, performing is, you know, there's a lot of conversation in in the um, um, norming stage. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a um, peaceful quiet that happens in the performing stage as people are just doing what they need to do and mm-hmm. people have mind share. Okay. So the reason I say that is when people go out or the reason I wanted to throw the Tuckman model out there. So when people go out and they start hiring everyone super quick. They don't give teams enough time to form. Yeah. And they don't actually work through some of these storming and norming areas enough. And there's just a lot of not non-performance. What you see is a few um, rock stars that are pulling the team. And then you see um, a lot of people sort of stuck in that middle of performance. But then you see some free riders back there that can't get away with it because it's like, oh, that's a squeaky wheel. Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> right. And then they just keep on going. And then this person has been on your team for like six months. You're like, why is this person there? Yeah. What are they doing? Yeah. Um, so 
Um, I wanted to throw that out there, Corey, because as you're thinking about it, you hire one person at a time. You hire, and especially if you're new at hiring, you're new, you're new manager, you're new leader, you hire that one person, you work on your delegation stuff, you work on your systems and processes, and then you hire the next person. And that first person that you hire, part of their job is to help you make the life of the next person you hire that much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so, how uh, do you how do you decide who that first person is you should hire? Like that, what they're going to do? That's a great question. Um, let's get real. When we hire people in small business, um, we're hiring them for one or two things. We hope to get both, right? One, we're hiring them because um, they help us make money. Mm-hmm. Two, we hire them because they make our life better. Yeah. Right. Now, if you're in the scenario where you don't, where you're not flush with cash, just to have people out there pampering your feet and making you feel good, mm-hmm. you have to tie it to helping you make money. And there's really um, there's several ways people make money, but we can be sim- we can simplify it here. They help you make money because they take tasks from you that are not high value. Um, revenue generating activities mm-hmm. so that you can focus your effort on those um, RTAs, revenue generating activities, mm-hmm. or they get busy doing the revenue generating activities. Mm-hmm. In my experience working with teams, um, a lot of times your first hires are not actually like you don't know how to manage someone who can actually be good at RTAs. And so they're taking stuff from you. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of got to think it's, it's one of those, um, it's not quite a musical chair scenario, no, not yet when you just have two people. Musical chairs start happening when you got three to five people mm-hmm. and in small businesses where everybody's doing everything, like everybody's walking around the task and then finally somebody's got to sit down, right? And when they sit down, they move other people around. Mm-hmm. So every time you hire someone, you're going to have musical chairs at a certain level. But when you're just talking about one to three people, musical chairs isn't that bad. Um, so you hire someone based upon their ability, either A, when you're in Corey's situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm not going to say that's his situation, but he said that context was when you don't have the immediate cash. Mm-hmm. You hire someone that is either going to take so much stuff from you quickly so you can focus on rainmaking, mm-hmm. or you hire a rainmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in my experience, we hire people who enable us to do more rainmaking. Mm-hmm. So what you have to do is a bit of a business audit here is to figure out which of your activities are the ones that are your RGAs Mm -hmm. that you need to do more of. Mm -hmm. And then the support tasks that aren't those RGAs that someone else can do quickly. Perfect. Um, And so that's what you have to do there. And it's it's one of those things to where um, sometimes I irritate my clients. It's part of my job. When I'm like, okay, so how much is the opportunity cost? Like, what's the opportunity cost um, of us not doing these things? Mm -hmm. Like, if we say... For every hour you spend in sales, let's say, um, you convert X, right? And we can calculate what that's going to be. And let's just say it was $6,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Well, if you don't have a system in place to get that $6,000, you lose $6,000 every month. Yeah. So if you can hire someone for two, right, that gives you 4 k that you're making above and beyond that. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, and Angela, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it here. What we do when we get into the hiring scenario is we take our current situation mm-hmm. and we just look at the plus sides of it, which mm-hmm. is largely less, like it doesn't cost us as much. And then we think about hiring someone and we look at the downsides to that choice. 
And we say, oh, I'm going to have to manage somebody, and I'm gonna, it's going to cost more money, and then I'm going to be responsible, and then, and then, and then, right? What we really need to be doing is looking at the downside, or looking at both the upside and the downside of our current scenario, mm-hmm. and then look at the upside and downside of the choice that we have in play. Because if I can say, yeah, I'm just going to pretend, Corey, because it's easier to say, like, yeah, Corey, like, you're losing out on 6 k a month with your current, with what we're doing right now. There's 6K of opportunities that we're not able to go, to get because you just don't have the capacity to do it. Mm-hmm. Over the course of a year, that's 72K yeah. that we miss out on. We have to take that seriously. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like maybe hiring someone's going to cost us 30, 40K, and that seems like a really big, scary number. But it's actually a much smaller number than this number here. Mm-hmm. And the general rebuttal is like, yeah, Charlie, that's 6K. That's kind of like not real, though. Mm-hmm. Whereas the money that you'll spend on an employee is really real. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I just have to say about that is, well, either you trust your business growth potential or you don't. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust that that 6K is there, then that's a that's another question besides whether or not you should hire someone. Absolutely. But if you really believe and you, you, like, you would bet money that you're losing that amount of money, then... We have to address that really your choice about hiring Mm -hmm. is not about money, Mm -hmm. right? It's actually about this fear. It's about the responsibility. It's about the you feeling uncomfortable with your ability to lead someone. There's all these other non-economic reasons that are keeping you from hiring. I'm really glad that you bring that up, actually, because the longer we've been in business and the more we've helped leaders and owners, entrepreneurs with the scaling of their business. That's the piece of it that comes up all the time and that oftentimes they're not aware of. You know, it's they think about it just the economic piece of it, but when you really get into the conversation with them, it's the fears about, you know, am I going to be as successful at this business as I had hoped I would be or can I actually be a good leader? That kind of thing. Am I going to be able to keep a roof over my heads and the employees' heads? Yeah. And what if it doesn't work? Yeah, exactly. What if it doesn't work and I hire these people and it doesn't work? Well, shit happens. Yeah. Right? I'm more worried about the possibilities we prevent because of our fears Mm -hmm. than the possibilities that may manifest because of our doubts. Say that again. I'm more worried about the possibilities we prevent because of our fears, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. than the, I forgot what I was going to say, but the downside of what might happen because of our doubts. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, we're, we're more likely to play the mediocre game of just getting by because it's safe, mm-hmm. right? It's an easy choice. Yeah. As opposed to bringing someone on. And I mean, let's get real. When you work in a small business, a lot of times people don't like working in a small business because they know it's volatile. Yeah. But if you're doing the best you can, you've got a good success pack. We talked about that last time in, in, in the last Q&A. You've got the good, right people around you. Like maybe it's good to bet on yourself and bet that you're going to win rather than just hedging your bets that you're going to lose. Yeah. Um. So that's kind of the mindset piece that's around hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you find those revenue generating revenue generating activities, and you really get clear. If it's really about the economic decisions, then that's fine, right? That's mm-hmm. one thing. But if it's really you're scared 
to step into that space. That's another one. Don't fool yourself about what it is. Yeah. Um, and when do you make, make the leap to hire someone? Um, that's the hardest one because it really depends upon your cash flow. Like a lot, people have different rules that they'll use. They'll say if you don't have six months of their pay, then don't hire them. That means that a lot of small businesses would never hire anyone, mm-hmm. right? Um, I can say because we've done it um, in the past, it can be really hairy when you don't have all the revenue you need for floating that. Yeah. Um, and again, you come back to that point if you're at a business stasis point and you're not going to grow and you're going to keep getting what you're getting. Sometimes you have to make to make like risk putting some of that money out there. Maybe it's, um, I hate, you know, mentioning credit cards and things like that, but there's that, you know, there are a lot of great programs through, through companies like Fundbox, um, which allows you to um, take a cash. Um, it's not a cash advance. It's a, um, it's called factoring, but basically yeah. they take the, the amount of invoices that you have and, and give you a loan against that, right? Um, PayPal Working Capital has a really great program. Um, there's also lines of credit from, um, you know, from banks. And banks don't like small businesses a lot, mm-hmm. especially the internet small businesses, which is why I think credit, fun- unions. credit unions are mm-hmm. another place to go. Corey, we're kind of stepping this aside, but I think every small business at a certain point needs to have a line of credit. Because you will inevitably reach a point to where you need to grow, but mm-hmm. the cash is not immediately on hand, and you'll make the choice to not grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and healthy businesses use and leverage credit and capital really well. It's great if you're always cash flow positive and you can always hire whoever you want to, whenever you want to, and mm-hmm. that's never a thing. But having um, a significant amount of your um, revenue that you ha- having a portion of your annual revenue that that is actually against a line of credit helps when it comes to hiring. Um, it helps avoid some of the decisions you'll make around launching and slumps in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it helps it'll help um, prevent you saying no to an opportunity that's really going to transform and and take your business to the next level. Um, yeah. Again. Consult your CPA and your credit advisor as appropriate. This is not financial advice in that way, um, but it, it, it really is a good tool um, to to help in these scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, and if nothing else, again, don't like putting stuff on credit cards, but you got to think for a lot of the entry level employees we might hire mm-hmm. for three months. You're talking, you know, three to excuse me for th- for three months. You might be talking around nine grand, right? If you hired them full time. Mm-hmm. That seems like a big number, mm-hmm. but if I can stack that up against 6K that you're losing every month, yeah. all of a sudden it's not a big number, yeah. right? It's just a calculated risk. And as entrepreneurs, like people think entrepreneurs love risk. I don't think that's true. I think we are capable of making calculated risk. And if you know the outcome of your current business stasis is a continued plateau, mm-hmm. right? Um you want to weigh that against the supposed risk of hiring someone mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, you've got to have a hard conversation about letting someone go. Yeah. Um, but I think that conversation as hard as it is, is better than the conversation you'll have with yourself two, three years down the road mm-hmm. when you didn't, um, take the right step for your business that you knew it needed because you were scared and you were um, shaky about the risk. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Thank you for talking about that, Charlie. And Corey, thank you for that question. It was super helpful. Well, 
How are you feeling, Charlie, about We're done. those questions? We've got three. We're in. Okay. Um, I appreciate everybody listening. Um, when, we, when we started changing up and I started talking about doing these Q&A formats, I was like, maybe we can keep it to 30 minutes. Um, it turns out that, you know, when Angela and I get in a flow, we have a lot better conversation. So maybe we'll do two questions and keep it under 30s. But if you like, we'll see. if you don't mind it being 35-ish to 45-ish minutes long, um, then, you know, shoot us a comment. Let us know how you're liking it. Yeah. Um, you've heard that we're sourcing some of these questions from the Creative Giant Campfire. So if you haven't joined that, you can search on Facebook for Creative Giant Campfire. It's our free Facebook group where we have prompts. Um, we um, interact with the community. We take questions. We really love on our folks in the campfire. So if you haven't joined us there, please do come join us. And maybe one of your questions will be a one that ends up on the Creative Giant Show. Yes, we would love that. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks for joining me. And I'm Angela Wheeler. We got to do the high five. Oh, high five. All right, Creative Giants, until next time, stand tall. We're having some great conversations in the Creative Giant Campfire, our free Facebook group. Search for Creative Giant Campfire in Facebook to join us there. It's where we're grabbing these questions, but we're also sharing prompts, micro posts, and other content that helps us stand tall together. And if you're digging the Creative Giant Show, I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a review or rating on iTunes. If you're not familiar with how to do this, there's a walkthrough available on the podcast page on ProductiveFlourishing.com. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.